this evening, let's take our Bibles, go in our Bible study, and go to the book of James. James chapter 4 is where we will be. James chapter 4. And as most of you know, we are in the book of James on Wednesday evenings, trying to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, section by section, and just try to dive into what James is trying to teach and preach through this general epistle of the Bible. And as we come back to the book of James, just keep in mind that James is writing to Jewish believers. And these believers have largely been scattered abroad and uh, because of the cruel persecution taking place, the first wave of persecution coming against the church, and um, uh, they've been scattered from, from their homes. So the majority of people that James is writing to are individuals who are hurting, struggling, suffering, Individuals who are absolutely confused, and they just need some help from one of their great leaders. Of course, that is Pastor James. And so he does that. He tries to help them by instructing them and encouraging them through this difficult time of their life. And he's trying to do that through this epistle that bears his name. All right? So keep that in mind as you go through the book of James. That's who he's writing to. But as we move forward in James chapter 4... Uh, as we come to this chapter, I want you to know this chapter, well, oh, just buckle up, all right? Because if you thought chapter 3 was a little tough when James really hit home on our tongue and things we say and speak on, oh, man, just hold on to your shoelaces. He's about to get real personal, all right? And uh, he's not going to pull any punches. He's about to lay it all out because Pastor James, well, he's going to get quite blunt with these believers and the things they're doing. He's going to use plain speech as he writes these scattered sheep. As the saying goes, plain speech is easily understood. And so as we read in these next few verses here in chapter 4, there's no second guessing to what James is trying to say. Uh, there is no wondering what he, what he really meant. There's no wondering what's on his mind. No, he makes it plain. And as we read in a minute here, some folks may read what he says and read what he writes and uh, they'll think that he might be a little mm, harsh. <laughs> and maybe Pastor James is being a little hard and even mean to these scattered Jewish believers. And one can get that idea because the statements we're about to read, well, no doubt they ruffle some feathers. Uh, no doubt they have the potential to hurt some feelings and uh, because of those ruffled feathers and those hurt feelings some may think well man that seems a bit harsh don't you think pastor james but listen he's not being harsh he's being truthful and be reminded though james is the human penman which god chose to write this epistle and write this letter understand the real author behind this is the holy spirit of god and though some may think he's being harsh, he's not. He is being absolutely truthful. You know, I heard a statement not too long ago, and it was this statement. And it's quite true, but it's this statement. Truth does not care about your feelings. <laughs> and uh, I'll be honest with you, when I first heard that, I was taken back for about 10 seconds. And after I started thinking about what they said, I had to say, you know, Amen. <laughs> That is absolutely true. So please, understand we cannot take truth and pour it through the filter of our feelings or even the feelings of others. Because if we use that as a filter when it comes to truth, then you and I will water down the truth to make somebody else feel 
good, and that is never the right thing. Because honestly, if we give the truth as it is written, as it is taught, as it is preached, we give the truth, and though that truth may hurt a little feelings every now and then, if it's accepted and applied to our lives, then this is what's going to happen. As the Bible says, as Jesus said, the truth will make you free. So, just give the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, all right? And let God do it. Let him help, help the individual as you give it to them. So let's see what uh, Brother James, Pastor James has to say in verse number 1 through verse number 7 this evening. And look at it with me, all right? The Bible says this. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts which war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, and yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask and miss, and ye, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You know, you would think he's talking to the world. You would think he's talking to unbelievers, people who are out in this gross immorality and all kind of wickedness. Nope. He is talking to believers. He is talking to Christians. He's talking to the church. But what, what does he go on to say in verse number five? Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Our Father, as we look to your word this evening, I pray that you'd help us to understand it, help us to apply it to our lives, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive, and help me, I pray, to teach and preach your precious word, because without you, I can do nothing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you read these verses, and you see what Pastor James says here, he just lets it fly. He just says it straight when he says this. He says, you guys you who are fighting among yourselves, you guys are warring against each other. You're operating uh, this way out of your own lustful desires. You're, you're, you're too friendly with the world around you, and it's making you adulterers and adulteresses. <laughs> Oh, man, that's hard to take. But he's given the absolute truth. And uh, after I got into reading that even earlier today, I just kind of pushed back from the desk, and I was like, man, Pastor James, why don't you just tell us how you really feel, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. But he's just really laying it out there. So I want to see this title this evening as we consider this text. I want to see this subject. I want to see this, The Warring Among Us. The warring among us. And the first thing I'd like for us to see is this. Number one, look at the definition of it. What does James mean when he speaks of wars and fightings? Is he talking about just a little argument or just a little spat? I mean, how bad is it really? What does James really mean when he uses these words and this rhetoric here? Well, take note first of this word war, all right, or wars rather. Now, this word here, it means a battle. Or it means a strife or a quarrel. And especially along the lines of standing against each other. You would have this side against this side. And down the middle, the lines are clearly drawn. And it seems like there's a standoff. 
All right? That's wars. And then see the words of fighting. Uh, this again means a battle or combat or contention, but this goes more along the lines of actual in-your-face confrontation. Actual hand-to-hand -hand kind of uh, fighting, up more up close and personal, and not just some kind of stare down, but more of a clashing, coming together, clashing together. But these words, when you put them together, wars and fightings, they go hand in hand. They're put together for emphasis because James, understands something, is trying to emphasize a serious nature of the combat that's taking place in our text. But who is that combat against or who is fighting in our text? Now, some theologians have indicated that since James is writing during his time period, the first century, and he's writing to Jewish scattered believers, uh, some take it to, to, to think that he is talking about them actually uh, rising up or even revolting against Rome at this time, that they're picking up arms and fighting or going to war against Rome. But I don't believe that's what James is referring to here. Rather, I believe he's referring to the fighting the combating, the warring against the brethren, against Christians, against and within the church and churches at this time. I believe he's referring, referring to the fightings that are taking place amongst believers. And I say that because of the phrase that's found at the end of the first question he asked in verse number one. Look at it with me. From whence come wars and fightings? What's the next two words? All right, let's try it again. A couple of you were listening. All right. Look at verse number one. Look at your Bible. And when I stop, I want you to repeat the next two words, okay? From whence come wars and fightings? Among you. You know, as I read this, and I read it earlier today, I've read it several times, it's just quite sad. This statement is made from Pastor James to other believers and Christians and the churches. It's sad that believers would fight and carry on in such a way and behave in such a way that would bring reproach against the very name of Jesus and repel individuals who don't know Christ away from the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. It's sad, and I hate it. But this is nothing new, listen, among, among believers, among the church, among people. I mean, after all, James is even having to address this issue in our text here in the first century when the church was still, as we would consider, in its infancy. And be reminded, James is writing around the time period, anywhere between 45 and 50 A.D. So that means you're, you're, you're only, what, 15 to 20 years removed from Jesus' ascension. Okay? If the math is correct, somewhere around there. But, uh, but only about 15, 20 years removed from the ascension of Christ. That tells me there could have been believers to whom he is writing that could have seen Jesus face to face, that could have heard his preaching, that could have witnessed his resurrection. Individuals to whom Jesus could have performed miracles on themselves. People to whom James is writing could have physically been there and walked with Jesus, yet James is saying, whence come wars and fightings among you? They were fighting. 
Even Paul had to address this issue at several churches. In Corinth, they were competing against each other. There was divisions among the church. They were suing each other over silly things. They were fussing. They were fighting. The churches in Galatia, Paul even said, they were biting and devouring one another. Them ain't good words among brethren, all right? Uh, they're biting and devouring. At Philippi, you had a quarrel against some of the ladies in the church. You can see that in chapter number four. But many times they had to write to encourage them, stop your fussing, stop your fighting. And that is just nothing new. Why? Because we all deal with the same stinking, rotten flesh every single day. And we've talked about that some Especially when we went through the book of Galatians. I'm not going to repeat any of those messages, but just know it's still there. The old man is still cohabitating with the new man. It's still there. We all have that potential to fuss and to fight because we all deal with the old man still. But fighting among the church, among the brethren, should not be the norm among God's people. It shouldn't be. Yes, they addressed it a lot. So you might think it was kind of normal, but it really wasn't the norm. It just had to be addressed from time to time. It shouldn't be the norm of God's people fussing and fighting. Rather, here's what should be the norm. You ready? Psalm 133 and verse number 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity is what should be the norm among God's people, among the brethren. And I'm thankful that we have great unity here at Boiling Springs. And I want to encourage you, do not allow the devil to disrupt any of that unity. Do not allow him to cause division. Do not allow him to drive a wedge between you and God, or between you and another brother and sister in Christ. Rather, by God's grace and with God's help, let's do this, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter number 4, and verse 2 and 3. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I love that word, endeavoring there. It means to exert, exert one's self, to give great diligence to. But what was Paul telling him to exert yourself in, to, to give great diligence to, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? God's grace, let's do that. If we want to strive, strive for that and not against one another. But anyway, at this moment, with some of these believers and some of these churches that James had in mind, at least, it would seem there was fightings and wars among them and there was no peace. But where does that come from? Where does this type of mentality come from? Where does the fussing come from? Where does the fighting come from? Where does the wars come from? What's the root of all of this? Well, notice number two. Number one, notice the definition. Number two, notice the foundation. The foundation of the war. Uh, what is that foundation of fights and wars and contention? Look at verse number one again. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Meaning, where's all this originated from? He tells us, Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members? 
You lust and have not. You kill, desire to have, cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask, receive not, because you ask amiss, that, you, that ye may consume it, consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But it giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resist the proud, give grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In these verses, in one form or another, the pronoun you here is found 17 times. And then you'll see in there as well this word found four times, lust. And when you add all this up and put these two together, James is pointing to an absolute foundation that causes individuals to fuss and fight and be at war with one another. And here's the word. Here's the foundation. You ready? P-R-I-D-E. You know what that spells? Pride. I'm telling you, when you find wars fighting and squirmishes and contention, do you know what you're going to find? That's behind it all. At the foundation of it. Pride. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 10. Only, listen, only, only, say it with me, only, only by pride cometh contention. If there's any contention whatsoever, the reason behind it is going to be pride. This is the root behind the fruit of the fighting. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 25, he that is of a proud heart, Stirreth up strife. Now, I just want to clarify, though. Some folks have asked down the years, is, is all, pri all pride bad? I had one individual some years ago ask me, is, is it wrong for me, Pastor, to be proud of my kids? To be proud of my grandkids? You know, when they do something good, do something right, or when they do, do well on the ball team, they hit a home run or score a touchdown or whatever. They do well in school, and they're finally keeping their grades above sea level so they stop drowning. You know, those kind of things, you know. Is it wrong for me, Pastor, to be proud of them? Absolutely not. All right? That's not the pride we're talking about. Being proud of your kids or proud of others for doing something right and good is not wrong. That's actually good to be proud that way. And it would be encouraging to hear your kids to hear that every now and then, your grandkids to hear that every now and then, putting your arm around them and saying, no, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. That will encourage them. All right, it'll help them. Besides, that kind of pride is directed towards others. That kind of pride is for someone else. And that kind of pride, if I can say it that way, is good. But the type of pride that is destructive, that is wrong, that is at the foundation of all these fightings and wars and contention, is this kind of pride. An unreasonable arrogance of one's own superiority whether in talents, beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank, or elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs, distance, reserve, and often in contempt of others. Meaning this, here's that bad kind of pride. You ready? Thinking too highly of yourself. Thinking you're something, when in actuality, you are nothing. As Paul put it in Philippians chapter 2, vain, meaning empty, glory. It's vainglory. So pride is simply this, when it's all about you. And when it's all about you, you got no room for anybody else. 
You definitely ain't got no room for the Lord. You know, we're living in some crazy days. How many of you know that's true? Anybody watch the news lately? Okay, yeah. So yeah, we're living in some crazy, some crazy days. And, and Paul told Timothy one day that those days would come. And instead of calling them crazy days, he called them perilous times in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1. And that word perilous means those days are hard to bear, hard to take. They'll be troublesome and, yes, even dangerous. And we know those days are upon us. But did you know uh, how Paul described those days or at least told of the characteristics of those days to Timothy? He said, this is going to happen when perilous times come. And here's how you're going to identify those perilous times. Do you know what he told them? I mean, he gave them a whole laundry list of things. And some of those things, are, we would label them quite horrendous. But do you know the first characteristic of a perilous day that Paul listed for Timothy to watch out for? Let me read it for you. After he got done telling him that perilous times will come, he says this. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And then goes on to talk about other characteristics of perilous times. You know, it's interesting to me when God points to the signs of the last day, He does not point out gross immorality. He does not point out drug abuse and crime rates. He does not point out the wicked deeds and wicked thoughts of other individuals. He does not talk about all these grotesque things. Not, at least not at first. Oh, what God does when he talks about perilous times, he goes straight to the heart with a dagger of conviction and he points to every individual who has this root in their heart or at least has the potential of this root in their heart of stinking pride. Lovers of their own selves. Pride, understand something, please, will lead to all these other grotesque things that make your stomach turn. Where does it have its foundation? It has its foundation in pride. Pride is a killer. It's what made the devil the devil. It's what caused the fall of humanity. And it's what causes every fight and fuss and war, even among God's people. Pride. And if a person continues to operate in pride, they continue to allow pride to rule their life, then here's what's going to happen. Number three, you can see the production of it. Meaning, what does it produce? What are you going to get? Well, again, look at, look, at, look at the Word of God here in verse number 2. You lust, have not. You kill, desire to have, cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask, receive not because you ask amiss. You may consume it upon your own lusts. You adulterers, adulteresses, no, you not. The friendship of the world is enmity with God. And whosoever therefore be a friend of the world will be, is the enemy of God. It's just it's a continual or a continuation rather of, of what he addressed in verse number one of the wars and the fussing and the fighting and the contention. And just the, the path on, on, that, uh, on that road there just gets more dark and more destructive. It may seem small and insignificant at first, but it leads to grave devastation in the end. That's what it will produce. It all goes back to just. Ah, just a little prideful. <laughs> but led to such an end that you did not see nor did you desire to have in life. But quickly, I want to see this, lastly. I want to see the solution to it. I mean, what's the solution? How do we stop this? 
How do we get off this road of destruction uh, because of, of pride? How can we stop the fighting? How can you stop the fussing? How do you get off this path of destructive pride? Well, look at your Bible again. And look at verse number 6 and 7. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Period. He makes it very much a strong statement there, giving them the solution to all that's going on in their midst. Submit yourselves, therefore. Remember that word, therefore? We've talked about it before. You've got to go back to see why it's therefore, right, or wherefore, those same, same words. It's pointing back to the arguments, uh, the previous arguments that he was writing about. And, of course, he's writing about those fightings, wars, fussings, all of that. How do you want to end it? Do you want to end it? How are you going to end it? How are you going to stop it? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's the answer. James tells these individuals as well as us today when it comes to the matter of warring amongst ourselves to humble ourselves and be submissive. But what does this mean to be submissive? A lot of times when we hear that word submit, we get a little heartburn and get a little sideways, you know what? Because we don't want to yield to nothing. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman, right? I'm my own person. Nobody's going to tell me to do nothing. Okay. Keep it up. Then that path of pride and we'll see where it leads okay but too many times we want to buck against that when someone says we need to submit ourselves therefore to but here he says this to be submissive to place yourself under to yield to the authority of but who is it God submit yourselves to God we are to submit to the authority of the Lord in our lives. We are to submit to the authority of the Word of God. We are to place ourselves on purpose. And you've got to do it. Nobody can do it for you. We've got to do it ourselves. Put ourselves under the authority of God. As believers, as believers, as Christians who know Jesus we should willingly submit ourselves to the Lord. Hey, man, preacher. All right, thank you. Yes. <laughs> I would dare say we would all say amen to that, okay? Yes, we should submit ourselves to the Lord. But let me ask you this question. Though you may say amen to that, you may say it with your lips, can that fact be seen from your life? Don't worry, stomped on my toes too, all right? We say amen, yes, I, I need to submit to God, I need to submit to his word and authority of the Lord in my life. Yes, amen. Well, can that be seen? Because at this moment, to whom James is writing, what was being seen was these fussing and fighting and contention amongst themselves. That's what was being seen. Because they were not submitting unto God. Now, again, keep in mind the historical context of this. Things were not going so well for these believers. And when things are going well, it's easier to, to submit ourselves to the Lord. And, and things are going pretty peachy and things are going great. You know, I, yeah, I have to submit to God, no problem, because things are great. But when things ain't going so great, 
Do you still keep yourself submitted unto God? To the authority of the Lord? To the authority of the Word of God? Or do you take things back in your own wisdom and your own control and try to do it your own way? And again, there comes pride. Because listen, if you try to do it yourself and be full of pride, you're going to continue to cause strife and wars. You're going to continue to pray incorrectly. He was even addressing, he was addressing their prayers even in this moment. He, he look at look at it in verse number uh, verse number three. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. They were asking wrongly. It was all still full of pride, full of themselves. Their request was all about them, them, them. You know, and, and not even just praying unto God in, in real uh, real way. It was all amiss. Listen, if we continue down the path of pride it'll cause us to be be strifeful continue in our warring it'll cause us to pray incorrectly and even will cause us to be friendly with the world once more but to stop it all to end all that destructive path and behavior we must humble ourselves and submit to almighty god and to his word now we'll continue down this thought as james does even in verse number 8, 9, 10, and following, continues down that, that thought of humbling ourselves and speak not evil one of another. He continues that. He continues it. And so we will too the next time we get back to James chapter 4. But, but for, this, for this evening, I want to highly encourage you and even myself, because it happens to all of us, to humble ourselves, submit ourselves to God, and get off that path of pride that will lead to nothing but destruction. And to do so, we must submit ourselves to God. So will you do that? Will you submit yourself to God and humble yourself? I've said it before, and I'll continue saying it every time individuals come and ask for help and advice and in counsel, I am so happy to do so and so help, happy to counsel people. Uh, I'm, I promise I'm no professional at that. I, I'm, I don't, I'm not great at that, but I want to help. God has put it in my heart to help. There's two things that I ask people when they come for help. I said, if you truly want help, you'll do these two things. You will be honest and you will be humble. Because without those two things, you will not find help. So that's what we got, must do. We must humble ourselves and submit ourselves 